But I think it's that American think you've got it great over there and you really haven't. Yeah, I know. And that's that's an annoying thing. I know. It is annoying. Very backwards. <laughs> <sighs> what if you get like a terrible backlash now in America like Ringo did in Liverpool? I feel like good for Ringo in that. Not because I don't know Liverpool well, but I've sort of always sort always of liked it when you've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have no I have nothing against Liverpool, but I just think like What's charming about that is he's not trying to please anyone. He can't not say what he thinks. He's just so blunt and he doesn't care. He'll say the it. The thing if he is, thinks is so. when I hear that described as an attribute, yeah. I kind of like it. I the, find it a, kind mm. of charming. And yet when I am confronted with it in reality, I kind of despise it as an aspect. Let me tell you the difference. I think somebody who just says the blunt thing is fine. Somebody who goes round telling you that they just have to tell it like it is and yes. say the blunt thing. If they understand it as a facet of their personality and think it makes them great, that's the problem. No, I would I would say solicited versus unsolicited. Okay. Good. We've worked we've worked through all okay. that. Hello? Welcome to Beetlejuice. Hello? With Jeff Lloyd. What? Because everything's better with the Beatles. Yeah, it's just something a bit more because it sounds a bit dead when you hear it just doesn't intro. How about this then? Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. This is Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Yeah, we'll have it, we'll have it. There's only the one. It was worth it for that. Here's my first question for you. Who do you think of as your second favourite band? Oh. I think I would have always said the Smiths. Of course. For a the long Smiths. time. But I, I'm not really comfortable with that answer anymore. Why? What's changed? Just because Morrissey's such a problem. Oh, so that's been the... Yeah. Well, that's and, and I am pretty good at um, separating art from artist, which I know there's all these reasons why you shouldn't always, but I think I'm a bit sort of cold and dead on the inside with that stuff. But Morrissey has just become such a problem it, it's almost the first thing I think about when I hear hear their songs so now. Almost at like a Cosby level. Yes, I mean it's In, obviously it's a very different thing. It's a very but. different thing, but I'm just I'm thinking. I think again, for better or worse, not defending an opinion, just explaining where we stand. We're both people who separate art from artist. Mm. And Cosby is one that I can't do that with. Yeah, I t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. I think it's because so much that I've loved about their music when I was younger was feeling sensitive and Morrissey being a person who was like that as well and there was a lot of obviously humour and, uh, and and sharpness and wit in his songs but also just kindness or uh, and he just doesn't see he seems like such an unkind bitter person it's it's just difficult for me to have that same relationship with those songs anymore. But he was still who he was. You know, it's not like you're you're this guy who's, I mean, I don't think who stayed really on top of the current Morrissey album. And now you don't want to listen to that anymore. Like those were still songs written by that younger, more sensitive. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But then when person. I, you know, I hear a Smith's record, I just think about whatever the last, last terrible thing that he said is. So. Oh, which is a shame. And then after that, I guess New Order was the band that I was kind of obsessed with and read a lot about. But I don't, there's no band I love in the same way as I love the Beatles. No, no, no. I know that's true. That's why I phrased it the, the way I did. And I actually think favorite. like a lot of the music that's meaningful to me tends to be by individuals rather than bands. Well, well who's your favorite singer-songwriter then? Well, you know, I love Leonard Cohen. Um, yes. Billy if- Bragg. Joni Mitchell. These sorts of people. Um, I'm trying to think about bands who have like a gang quality. I'll tell you, who I've always enjoyed is um, Arcade Fire. Oh, of course. Like when you go and see them, they really seem like a gang. I don't know if they are or not. I used to really like Bell and Sebastian, but after that film, yeah, that film it really, it really kind of uh, soured them for me. I think that was a. Fi- I can't remember what it was called. God help the girl. But it's what helped. It was like. A little bit before the time that I was hearing the phrase male gaze a lot. <laughs> and it helped me understand what the male gaze is. And when you think of male gaze, you tend to think of it in a very kind of like heightened um, alpha 
way. And this oh. is sort of like a bookish librarian version I of it. I don't. Oh. I, I, only because that world is sort of not even, I don't even brush up against that kind of world. Right. I feel I brush up against men who are artists who have muses. Right. And are very annoying to me in a different way. Mm. Who's your favourite band? Band? Oh, I mean, Ab- I, ABBA. ABBA's a band that I really love. Aha, that's a great answer. I think that's probably the answer for you. Mm. Because I I do think it just is the Smiths, but I understand what you're saying. Mm. I I went through a phase of being very obsessed with Dust Cab for Cutie. That was 15 years ago. I think they're good. But I think then... Do you know the Beatles connection? No. Magical Mystery Tour, the film, which I haven't made you sit all the way through. No. At the end, there is a scene in a strip club. There is a band accompanying the stripper. Called Death Cab for Cutie. Called the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Uh-huh. Who are this great eccentric uh, band who the Beatles were friends with and, and loved. And they are singing a song called Death Cab for Cutie, which right. is where they got I their name from. I have heard that before. Only because I could go, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's some story about how they came up with that name. Magical Mystery Tour is odd in the first place, but this very specific reference of a bunch of northerners going on a coach trip is impenetrable to I think to anyone who didn't grow up with it and then that bit at the end which is in a strip club which is where you would get pubs up north groups of men on a Sunday would Sunday afternoon Sunday lunchtime would go on a coach trip to a strip club unbelievable (laughs) I mean do you know how they say like If you do pot now, (laughs) it's different than it was in the 60s. Yeah. I feel, don't you feel like going to a strip club in the 60s was different from like. Oh, yeah. I think it was. I think it was feather feather boas and a bit of shimmying, right? Yeah. Whereas you should watch the film Hustlers to see what they do now. I'll watch that with you. No, you won't. I'm trying to be nice. Do you know? I'm going to give you two years. The first year is 1963, and the second year is 1973. Mm -hmm. Who would... You can do all four Beatles, or you can just pick and choose if you just want to do one or two. Who they would have said their favorite musicians were? Oh, that's good. I feel like John would have stayed the same. He'd pick a rock and roller. Give me an example of a rock. Chuck Berry. Okay, okay. For example, and stuck with it. I think he had this moment which was like uh, a religious conversion when he heard rock and roll music and nothing ever felt like that again for him. Okay. And I think he loved a lot of different music over the years, but I don't think he ever got that high that he got from rock and roll. So I think he would always say one of those one of those guys. Got it. Um, I think Paul in 63 might have said one of those guys. But then... I read something the other day, maybe it was 72 or 74, so not quite, but where he was just talking about Stephen Sondheim. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, maybe in 63, George might have still said Carl Perkins, but by 73, probably Bob Dylan. Right. That's interesting then, because when you were talking later about their friendship, that he was like, I always find it interesting when people can revere someone and then become their friend. Yes, it's really interesting that, I think isn't it's it? Strange, because I've read quite a lot about George and and the other Beatles actually uh-huh. quite a bit, um, and some of it is Olivia and Danny talking about him since he's died. <gasps> so you get quite an insight into what he was like at home, and he was always quoting Bob Dylan lyrics as if you know, like dads have their little phrases that they say and little homespun homilies about life. George would reel off a Bob Dylan quotation for, for any occasion or situation. He had them all committed to memory and yet they were these they were friends. It is weird. I mean I guess it's different if you yourself are also this eminent artist. Yes. Then it then it it does feel more comfortable. My dad was always quoting this fella Mick Davis, who he worked with at the post office. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just like you, that. Yeah. His friend Mick Davis. I have some Olivia and Danny stuff I would like to say, but shall I save that till later? It's up to you. Well, when did you mention? I was talking about Olivia's Instagram account. Is that yes. what you're thinking about? So while I was listening to your show mm. last night, 
I did a deep dive. I did I did a medium dive into Olivia's and Danny's Instagram pages. And then I thought I'm going to get too overwhelmed here, so I'll just stick to, I'll start with the Harrisons and then see where I get to. So there's a celebrity who's constantly commenting on Olivia Harrison's posts. Oh, I think I know who I know who this is. It's um, Tom Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson. So Rita Wilson and Olivia Harrison are always just... (laughs) All up in each other's. All up in each other's. Well, I don't know if she's up in Rita's. The other thing is Olivia always comments on Danny's posts. Like your mom always comments on your posts. I think that it's sort of sweet. And then am I right? I'm going to say this statement and you tell me if there's anything in it. The most respected musically of the Beatles children is Lee Starkey. Zach Starkey. Zach Starkey. I think so, yeah. He's the the most em- he's a more eminent musician than Danny Harrison. Yes. Yeah. And guess what? What? Doesn't have an Instagram page. He's a bit older. All I'm saying is you look you try looking around those kids. Did you like Olivia's Instagram page? Yeah. So I know you obsess about your own Instagram. Ugh, don't doesn't even doesn't say come naturally. Doesn't come naturally. You don't you don't it enjoy come it naturally to me. So do, do you find it odd that Olivia has one then, if she doesn't have to? I would I would just think the great gift is to not have to is to get to be above it. But what I imagine is that Olivia and Danny feel they're managing the George Harrison legacy. Legacy. That's the word. And that that is their purpose for being on there and keeping memories alive. And I have to say, if I was like, like, so she put up this one photo that must have been from Ringo's wedding in 1981. Yes. Oh, and I loved looking at that. That was amazing. And I loved hearing what she had to say about it. And then she put up one of her and Yoko. And I was like, tell me more, tell me more. But, you know. The thing of what Danny's doing is not interesting to me, and a cake she made is not. That but isn't that just true of social media generally? Yeah, I think you and I have this such a tainted view of it because we both feel that we have to do it for our jobs in these different ways, and the idea that anybody is on social media for fun is not something that we can grasp. Well, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, I joined Facebook whenever I think I joined in two thousand and eight. And I, you know, you would just sometimes be like, oh, here's a cute photo. I'll put this up. And that was sort of nice. And I did like seeing, like being able to find people from high school was really fun. But this thing where you think... What can I put on? What can I tweet today? What can I put on Instagram? What story can I do? I think... This tweet might be the one. (laughs) This this might lift me out of the doldrums. This is going to reframe... My career. <laughs> so terrible. It's so black. <laughs> so black. I'm trying, you know, I'm just trying. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's not interesting to listen to. Um, why was George's asteroid bigger than John's? It went John, George, Paul. Ringo excluded completely. What's no, no, going Ringo on? was on there. Was he? Yeah, there were four four asteroids, one name for each beetle. Oh, I didn't hear. I thought. I thought. Okay, then I completely misheard that. Sometimes my mind, my mind wanders. <laughs> Wait, why was anyway? How did they decide that? Because you'd think it would it would go Ringo, George, Paul, John, and John would be the big asteroid. I really respect the choice. I'm just curious. Well, that. you've intuited something correctly. I think this observatory, which did I say it was in Arizona? I As I, I said, I yeah. Um, I think they named the asteroids in the order they found them. So they decided we're going to name the next four asteroids, presumably after the Beatles. Oh. The first one was John, then Paul, then George, then Ringo. And I, I think the size of them wasn't the wasn't the factor. I see. Yeah. Would you take it as an insult if, say, if, I'm just trying to think uh, of one of your contemporaries? From the Don't world do of... it. Don't okay, do I won't it. name one then. Would Would you take it as an insult if an asteroid was named after one of your contemporaries and one named after you and theirs was bigger than yours? No, I think I'm on a new kick where I'm not going to give a shit. That's great. Where's this coming from? Relentless by Tim S. Grover. <laughs> I started reading this book. Can I talk about this? Yeah, right yeah, now? yeah. So I was reading an, an article in The Guardian as I do. 
<laughs> I don't normally, but um, about Marcus Rashford. And there was uh, this profile on him, and he mentioned this book that he reads called Relentless. And it was, uh, and I say this book that he reads, because like, apparently his thing is he reads it like every year or twice a year. And that he really feels that being someone who does a job that has such highs and such lows, or you're so hot and then you go completely out of fashion and how you ride the wave of that. And I thought, oh, that's so similar to comedy and sort of that thing. And I thought, and I was just in a real low space where I hadn't been gigging for the obvious reasons and I felt completely impotent in terms of my own job. And I thought, I wonder if, if there's anything to be garnered from me reading this. Marcus Rashford and I are similar characters. I wonder if I could gain anything from this. So I've been reading this book, and it's it's essentially what it is is a self-help book. And the author is insane. So he's somebody, his thing is, weirdly, he's based in Chicago. Did I tell you that? He's like no. a Chicago guy, which is strange because I heard about it through Marcus Rashford. Chicago is your hometown. It's my put, hometown. Yeah. And uh, so he's like the guy who was Michael Jordan's trainer when Michael Jordan was the greatest athlete who had ever lived. And it's like, so who's the guy? Who's that? And so he's coached all these elite athletes and he is insane. Like I was saying to Jeff that the way that he... At one point, he's like, here's how you be relentless. And it's a list of, of ways that you're going to be relentless or whatever, be a winner. But he believes that if he numbers them like one to 15, people just think that number 14 isn't important as number one. And if you're going to be relentless, every number has to be number one. So it's just like, number one, do this thing. Number one, do this thing. Number one, do this thing. He's just a maniac. Why not I use am, bullet points instead? I think that's a very fair numbers. point. Also, I then, of course, became obsessed with him and started like watching all these videos of him. And he is charismaless in person. Is that right? Isn't that fascinating? Yes. You thought, oh, this won't be my kind of guy, but he'll be like, uh, uh, uh. he yeah. will be his voice on the page, on the stage. But in fact, no, he's like really, really, really lame seeming. Wow. But I do find some of what he has to say about mental strength really interesting. So when you say, what if these asteroids, da 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 da, and I go, I wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. That's that's my new relentless attitude. That's great. So my, my, my attitude from Relentless by Tim S. Grover. I do. Something I really like about you is that you can take a phrase or a mantra. And then just apply it. Because that doesn't work for me. I ultimately am mentally a weaker person than you are. I don't think so. I am. I I'm, I'm, I'm healthier. This is what's, what I find interesting. I am the healthier person mentally. But you are stronger mentally somehow than I am. So you don't need a mantra. I'll tell you who would have gone nuts for this book. Who? John Lennon for a week and then he would have moved on to the next thing. Yeah. He he was somebody who would just he was just looking for the person with the answers. I know he get like completely obsessed by. No, I don't think you have. I, think I don't think I you're do. susceptible to that. I stuff. I think I am. I think I just want like even with you with stuff like I'll I want to feel like you have the answers. You know, the, we're at a stage now where there's so little that I do without asking your opinion on no then no, no, i think i mean it differently i mean john lennon had this idea i think in his head that a lot of us do and i think i i can be a bit guilty of this is thinking if i just find the one thing that's going to fix everything forever it could be meditation it could be astrology it could be numerology it could be lsd it could be yoko he was gonna he's gonna meet somebody who would tell him the secret and then everything would be fine. And you don't you don't have that, I don't think. No, but I think I can feel like what I would I would take a significant step forward in my happiness levels. If I if in some ways my self-confidence was we're all these weird mixes of very high and very low self-confidence. And so in some ways I'm quite thrilled with myself, but in other ways I'm really not. And I feel like if I could feel more confident in some of the ways that I have actually really low self-esteem. You just be living a happier life. What's your latest thing that you've taken from Relentless? Like, so he's like, if you do this, that's relentless. If you do that, that's relentless. And 
still find myself like going to these dog shit, being like, I think this is me being relentless. <laughs> you are I'm, relentless. I think I'm relentless in that way. But I, so I think he said like, um, you never think of yourself as competing with another person. They're in competition with you. <laughs> and that has stuck in there. That was really boring. It wasn't. It wasn't. One of the things I'm working on in comedy, which I, this is the last time we're doing this podcast, but it's something I'm, is, is that I'm, I'm, if a gig is going poorly, I do not say it's going poorly. So if I'm doing a bad anecdote on this podcast for the next bit that we're recording, I'm not going to say that it's bad. A few people have said... You just said this is the the final podcast. A few people have said, why don't you just carry on doing the podcast even though the radio show run has come to an end? I would do this podcast, but I I don't want to keep talking about the Beatles. That's my problem. And that's what you want and what everyone else wants. I think it's sort of anchored in the radio show and we've done that now. So It actually isn't. Well, it's anchored in it. Well, but it, it doesn't have to be anchored in it. That's what I'm saying. It could be exactly this thing. But actually, I just want to talk about another kind of thing. But I don't know. Maybe it's providing all this structure and it's like you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Well, that that question will be answered very soon. No, no, no. I mean, if we were to try and do a podcast, like if I'm like, oh. it's tiring for me to think about questions about the Beatles. But actually, what I would find <laughs> is that that's the great gift. Right. That's what I mean. Mm. I'll move on. The song where Paul goes, I'm really down. Yeah. That's hard to sing. What um? What is is that called? Down is that? I'm down. Like, I'm down. Um, do we know the the context in which he wrote it? I don't think it's a great confession of feeling terrible. I just think it's him trying to knock off a record that Fine. sounds that, like that Little was Richard. My question. That was my question. Yeah. It's such an amazing song. It's really good, and what a great vocal on what? That. Yeah, a vocal. It's unbelievable. And that footage of them performing. It's at Shea Stadium is is one of the great. Oh, I've never seen that. You've definitely seen it because we saw the whole Shea Stadium concert when <laughs> we um when we went to the pictures in Chicago and saw that Ron Howard film. Well, I'll have to rewatch that because it's great. I don't it's, remember it's it great. All. I think it was just them in the middle of it all. There's some there's something lovely and infectious about it. It's a great a great moment. Was Bob Dylan friends with any of the other Beatles other than George? Him and John Lennon had a strange relationship. Yes, tell me about that. Bob Dylan identified John and John identified Dylan as kindred spirits in some way. I don't know mm. if that's them thinking of themselves as geniuses or, or whatever that would be. Which would be. be fair, I mean. Yeah, yeah, but Bob Dylan is this force of nature and an enigma and John Lennon was that thing they were also poets they also had this truth to them although in some ways I think Bob Dylan hides himself in in a way that's more like Paul than than John but but that being said so interesting statement yeah I think Bob Dylan is quite mysterious in, in these ways uh, his lyrics are, are brilliant, but you need to decode them and they're full of red herrings. Whereas John Lennon became about if he thought it or felt it, he wanted to get it out there as purely and as explicitly in a song as I mean, possible. it's very much like me as an artist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Paul, you can decode stuff from his songs. I also think you can turn yourself into a lunatic doing it and spot stuff oh, that isn't I see. there. I, and I also okay. think as, an, as, a, as a person, Paul has very cleverly... Uh, as we've talked about on this podcast before, kept a lot of himself back from the public and carved out this bit that we that we all know and that he gives very generously, and then the rest of it we don't know about. And and that's Dylan. Whereas with John, it's it's just all hanging. out. I think out. I was thinking about this thing that you've said. That's like if you go to see Paul McCartney in concert, you know, you would have said this ten years ago. But if you go to see Paul McCartney in concert, it's like he knows what the fans want and he is there to give them everything they want. Uh, whereas if you go to a Dylan concert, <laughs> yeah. it's like this very unsatisfying yeah. experience. Yeah, maybe you'll get one of the amazing ones, but he does exactly what he wants what to he do. Wants you to are do. going to see an artist express himself and if that's to your liking then great if it's not he's there as an artist expressing himself and that's what you've paid your money to see and you know it's bob dylan i I feel like that's fair enough yeah um what chain of events Mm -hmm. could lead to friar park being open to the public does olivia have to die (sighs) I, I mean, I can't see her opening. Well, that's what I'm yeah. asking. So, is it sort of like, do you think if she died, Danny would think, oh, this should be a public space? 
I don't think so. I think in families have attitudes towards things. And he is part And of the, the Harrison family oh, was a private family. So so okay, so then what's going to so how's this going to open up for everybody? How's it going to happen? I think most of what happens, I don't know if it's in my lifetime, is as this stuff th- passes through generations of families, it becomes less important and the descendants just want to figure out ways of making money. So Danny has to die. Or Danny gets to a point where he's old and he's got kids perhaps and, and they think, Dad, we could be making money out of this. Or I also even think, like, aside from just being money grubby or something like that, like, so many wouldn't – I mean, what my, my follow-up question is, the day something happens and Olivia goes, I'm opening it up. I mean, we would be there. Am I incorrect? I think it would be like one of the first things we did was. Oh, go there. I would be so excited. So it would mean so, it would almost be like a public service that they would do. And I don't think they have a responsibility to do that. And if they are honoring George's legacy and they know that his number one thing was that this was just for him, there is something that I really respect in that. But at a certain point, it's like he is gone now. And people, it would mean so much to people. I know somebody who works on quite a prestigious gardening program. And this this person was desperate to get Olivia to um, open okay. up Friar Park. I mean, just for this program to tell the public about it. And I think she there was, there was some move in that direction and then she she, she got must cold feet feel like it's it would make him roll over in his grave and, i think so i think that's fine i think george harrison is a man who devoted his life to building this or this huge period of his life to building this beautiful garden and it reflected him in so many ways and also was a guy who had very clear boundaries about what was for the public and what wasn't and i think a lot of what what he carried with him post Beatles was a resentment that a lot of stuff that he didn't feel should be public property mm, was. I get it. Um, on Olivia's Facebook page, sorry, Instagram, there is a picture of her and Yoko. And I thought, interesting. What do you feel that relationship is like? They can't, they're not, they don't have a relationship really, do they? Well, they have I to. I don't see it. They have to have our relationship. Because they have to go to these things. Because they are four the direct, there are four directors of a company. Oh my God. And they are Paul, Ringo, Olivia, and Yoko. Oh my God. Actually, I, I think Yoko's. I'm more of thinking about that fact. I know, I know. I think, I think Yoko's actually, at this point, she's quite frail and most of that has been handed over to Sean. So. Oh, my God. But th- these people have to have a relationship. Oh, my God. I Here's what I think, having not been asked my opinion. Mm. I think Olivia, mm. just an instinct. Yeah. I think she's the easiest one in that group by a <laughs> mile. And when we saw that Martin Scorsese thing and she said something like, you know, people ask you, like, how do you stay married to a Beatle? And she's like, don't get divorced. And I really liked that. So I I like her. Yeah. I'm I'm a fan of Olivia's is what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm a little concerned about yeah. D-H-A-N-I. Danny. You're a little concerned about Danny? Yeah, I am. In Not what a way? lot. What's, what's bothering you? I think he's unhappy. I think he's come to a point where he's, he's doing interesting things around music rather than putting all his efforts into being an artist. He's revitalized his dad's old record label dark horse he's put out some i don't think he's happy doing that you don't think so no i don't know what i'm talking about i'm just an asshole with making (laughs) guesses but what i'm telling you is i don't think he's satisfied i'll have to do a little bit more googling what what do you think what do you think could could bring him happiness a session with me (laughs) what sort of session i think i could just do a good therapy session a therapy session okay a sexual session. That's what I'm not interested. No, I'm not in- I mean, not that he would be, but it didn't. None of those kids. None of them? No, just the daddies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I told you I once got mistaken for Sean Lennon. Yes, you have told me that, which is. By amazing. Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. That's crazy. Yes, I know. Sh- Sean Lennon is very like 
very, I mean, you're pale as well, but there's pale, dark hair pale, freckle-free pale, and then there's like Irish freckle ginger pale, and you're that kind of pale, mm. and he looks like a ghost. He's doing some weird stuff on his Instagram page. His stuff is too weird for me to even get into. I was like, I can't. This isn't even fun yeah, he's it. he's sort of getting a bit um, flirting with conspiracy theories and stuff. Is that what you're talking about? Oh no, oh. I'm talking about like the the as you have said, he's the one who's now sort of the steward of the Lennon legacy more than Yoko. Yes, and it's like ads for. I could be wrong, but this is what I think I saw ads for. So it's not an ad, technically an ad, but it's like a girl who looks like it's an American Apparel advert from 15 years ago. And looking at the camera in a certain way and nipples up her tummy. In a t-shirt that says like something that has to do with John Lennon. How far into the other Beatles kids Instagram pages? I didn't. Did? I was like, I, this is too crazy. There's too much here. So I have to go deep with Olivia. Flirted with Danny. Looked at Sean when I can't even get into this one right now. Then I'll do more later. Mary McCartney's is pretty, pretty nice. She's a photographer, so it's just... She seems like she's doing great. Yeah. I know very little about her, but that's my impression. Paul sleeps raw. I've never heard it called that before. No. We sleep raw, mm. and I'm going to call it that from now on. We're, we're naked sleepers. We are, although I do have a concern around it. Your penis being shown to your son. I just feel it's some... Because he will... Someone, come and climb into bed with me in the mornings and he has a sleepover on a Saturday night mm -hmm. in the bed and I always make sure that I wear boxer shorts and a t-shirt on those nights but the would you feel that I know this is hard to answer but would you feel that way if you had a vagina so what I mean what I'm saying is is that like I it doesn't occur to me to like keep clothes on around my five-year-old and I don't think I would feel that if I was in I'm not in the sleepover Jeff and Jean do a sleepover and mommy retires up to the loft because mommy's <laughs> got some problems but basically is part of that about morning wood and not wanting your son to see your semi-erect penis I think about kids I knew at school who would then it turned out like the parents were overly naked or something and it was all a bit weird. Or if some, if you met somebody and they told you a story about their parents being naked all the time, you'd think it was weird, right? But we're not naked all the time. No, but I think we're like probably... Like my son, Gene saw me naked this morning because you were calling to me and I came out of the closet and I was naked. That's how he sees me naked. I just think I'm, I just think... I'm naked too much around that. I mean, I mean, not during the day, not during the day or the evening or anything. But I just think I just I, <laughs> thinking about you being naked in the evening. I'm not naked in the. It's just I, I, he, he sees me like, walking around in the morning when I go to brush my teeth and stuff as a nudie doody, and I, I just think I should be covering myself up at this point. I think it was fine when it was just going to be there in the subconscious, but I don't want it there in his his memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. I think that's it. So I need to. Get better at that. You know that interesting story about when Linda died? No. That James McCartney went and slept in the bed with his dad. Oh, I completely get that. Is that weird? No, no. I just thought it's in I said it's interesting, not weird. Oh, that makes me feel like I'm going to cry. Oh, that's so intense. Oh, mm. God. Oh, I wish I didn't know that. Oh. I think it's nice. Oh, that's so sad. Oh my god, you I find it so sad. It's such an illustrative detail about someone dying after yeah. a long marriage. Yeah. Oh it's so sad. It's like when I cried on that stupid podcast I did. Oh, so painful. Yeah. Do you understand how incredible and entertained her I am that I managed to cry on the last ever episode of a thing? <laughs> Do you understand how amazing my instincts are? That's really good, Sarah. I mean, what's interesting is I just had to sit quietly because I always have an instinct. Oh, you did. Oh, you didn't make a joke. That's so, great. Yeah, I always have an instinct to to if. And I There's get a situation very, like that to try and oh, take the air out of it. But so angry at you yeah, that you've done that. Yeah, I really you, appreciate you. Yeah, so I've I've learned over the course of our marriage, if you're having a genuine emotional moment and I'm not quite in it with you and I want to try and 
make it more comfortable making a joke doesn't do that so i just sit quietly well i'm out of it now but i think that's so sad i mean it's not really quite sad it's very moving Mm. and i feel that that anecdote shows what good parents they were that's what I think. I think nothing else has convinced me so much about what a good man Paul is, that his son would do that for him. Don't make a joke. I'll kill I'm you. Not, I'll a, kill you. I'm a little misty-eyed, too. Oh. So moving. I also think it's like a bit upsetting to them that that's public information in a way. Oh, so I think what happened was a family friend who was oh, also well known told that story. And then, yeah, when James launches his music career, as he, as he did a few years ago, people would ask him about that. And that must just. Oh, that's a terrible thing. That's yeah. a terrible thing. Yeah. Even, you know, even though it, as I said, I just don't think I've ever heard an anecdote about a celebrity that has humanized them so much. So so it's it's only um it only reflects incredibly well on everyone. Yeah. But it's still so personal. Yeah. Well, if James wants James wants to work through some of that pain with me, he can hire me. You know how in billions there was you didn't really watch it, but you do know that one of the sort of things in that TV show was that there's a therapist for these traders who are like billionaires. And it's like, it basically the idea is if you work at this company where you make millions trading or billions trading, you need to have regular therapy sessions. And this is, this is back to relentless. It's very much about like the mental well-being of people who are trying to compete at a high level, <gasps> such as myself. Um, and uh, so these people need regular therapy so they can be mentally there. And I would like to, as someone untrained, mm. Feel what if I what if I offered this service? Oh my gosh! Okay, wait. What if my thing is I work with celebrity children who feel that their parents, just their parents' celebrity, has fucked with them, and I'm there for them to have some conversations so that they can feel happy. How do you get around the fully unqualified bit? I don't know, but it's <laughs> like there are a few pieces here that aren't going to work. So, and talk to me about the fact that you think that this should be your speciality. When, to the best of my own knowledge, you haven't given it a lot of thought. <laughs> I know. You I just, just have a strong instinct that. What I'm could... <laughs> saying is, is that when we're children, there, there are there's a moment when you, a child, any person of any age, but but young, a kid or a teen is like, wait, maybe I could do this. Like, I'm really, really, really yes. interested in this. Mm. And had things gone differently for me, I could have had that instinct when I was like 18, and built toward becoming. A very, very quiet, doesn't seek out the limelight herself therapist for celebrity children. And I, what if I just had this whole other life, like living in LA, helping these people, like, be, and being like, here's, listen, Danny, here's what you're not going to do. Be a guitarist. Okay. Now let's, let's, let's talk about, I'd be this person that celebrities are like, ugh. I don't want my kid to wind up like this. So they're 10 now. And why don't you just go? We're going to get an appointment. She's very discreet. (laughs) Sarah Barron. And uh, I'd live in LA and just have this great life making celebrity children be realistic in their ambitions. It sounds lucrative, potentially. I know. I I, I think I missed. I think there is this part of me that's very different to you that like, feels very sad about the process. I, th- I think I've said this and on this podcast before about not having an LA chapter. Mm. Let's move along. Oh, don't spend too much time t- no, trying to figure this out if you don't know. There's a Penny Lane reference in You'll Be Back, the Hamilton song. Yes. Do you know what it is? Oh, they're musical references. So that song, oh. You'll Be Back, which is where the... The, the the king of England oh, yes. sings uh, a little joke that a musical joke that Lin Manuel Miranda put into it was these little motifs from Beatles songs and if you listen to it it is very Beatley Sergeant Pepper era. Well, well, you know, good old Lin Manuel. Yeah. 
What, what were you going to say? What will he do next? Well, yeah, you know, when, he, when, when I've heard him interviewed a couple of times, he's, he's like, you know, the thing on my head, the thing that'll be on my gravestone has already been done, right? Like Hamilton, like he does, in other words, he seems to think that Hamilton will be the greatest thing he ever does. But as I often say about people, the self-awareness, the, the, the artist who, number one, can make something like that, and at a young age, and then have the wherewithal to go, that'll probably be the best thing. I'm like, I'm not sure it will be. Maybe, it just maybe, yeah. I, th- I think you're right, he, he could. The amount of people who just have one or, one or two good things in them, that's the norm, isn't it? Even oh, brilliant, and, and brilliant good on people. You, and that's wonderful, but he, might, he just might not be that person who only has one or two things in him. I think that's what's so great about the Beatles. Well, that's how I I felt like it was not too far of a tangent mm. off talking about someone like Lynn Manuel. Um, why did no? This is what's more interesting. I was going to ask why both Ringo and George. You mentioned both. You were talking about this. What was it? A twelve month period, or maybe it was like an eleven month period when all this stuff happened. Yeah, and th- I was talking about summer sixty eight, summer sixty nine. But you could pick any year in the Beatles story, and it's just as insane it's the insane amount of stuff that they managed happened. to cram in. And so, in that context, you mentioned both Ringo and George leaving and returning. Yes. And my question is: is sort of not even why did they leave? Because you can get there pretty easily. It's why. What was the thing that drew them? back in i think with ringo he just went off on holiday cooled off a bit they showed him some love and he came back the the famous story that he tells is he came back into the studio and they covered his drum kit with flowers i think that might be george who did that and they fluffed him a bit told him he's the greatest drummer and all, all that stuff okay. which and and then that was fine with george more complicated with George. Well, and it was much, you know, it was, I was going to say it's much closer to the end, and it was it was uh, a year later, but it was not even a year actually. It's more like six or seven months, but it was during those Twickenham sessions, and you've got that thing caught on film where him and Paul have a row about. Have I seen that? I think so. And it's it's as as a row. It's a it's a. Hey, da 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 da. I think or, or it, I, I think the row is pretty mild. The famous thing is George is saying, "Look, I'll just play what you want me to play, or I won't play. Just just tell me what you want." Because Paul at this stage has such a clear idea about what he wants that the others feel as if he won't let them do their thing and express themselves how how they want to. In actual fact, another way of looking at it could be that they were so half-assed at this point that it needed Paul to be the the gas to get the end result that they'd all be happy with. Who knows? Um, But there was that blow-up and then there was another blow-up with John the same day that wasn't recorded, that is shrouded in mystery. And they agreed to have a meeting to sort it out and whatever. It, it was that meeting. There was some kind of powwow that got George back. Interesting. Mm. Shrouded in mystery. Mm. Oh, also in this list of things that happened in this 11 month period, you said, you said there was the, Bagism thing. I had no idea what the bagism thing is. Oh, you see, that that that's good to know because I try and make this show something that if you're not a Beatles not, it's interesting to you. And then bagism, of course. Why did I just say that without explanation? That you know that line in the ballad of John and Yoko where they sing eating chocolate cake in a bag. Eating chocolate cake in a bag. Yeah. So John and Yoko were doing these performance art things where they would be in, inside a big bag like a sack <laughs> uh, and then they'd make people interview them inside the sack or they'd only speak from inside the sack and it was I guess a conceptual art piece about you shed your preconceptions of people when you can't see them well, okay okay so that's what bagism was that's and, what it says on the tin is and he say. mentions in um Give peace a chance. He mentions it. It's like everybody's talking about this ism, that ism, bagism. You know, bagism. Yeah, it was their idea for a new. It wasn't an idea they thought was 
real, but to get people thinking their idea for a new religion, bagism, where everybody's just in a bag and then you're not judging them by what they look like or the colour of their skin or their gender. Or, you know, I think that's the, the basic idea. With the, with the lawsuits between Apple and Apple, mm. what finally moved the needle after 29 years? Well, it was an obsession of Steve Jobs. So the, the, the lawsuit was that when Apple computers first came along, obviously the, the Beatles' Apple core had existed for however many years at that point, but it was a well-established thing. And they were like, hang on, someone else is using the name Apple, even though they were kind of defunct at that point, and thought, and probably smelled money in it. So they then sue Apple computers. Apple computers say, okay, here's the agreement. I don't. I think there was some money involved, but it was, we're computers, your music, and we will never do anything involving music. And then when iTunes and iPods come along, Apple, the Beatles company, come back and say, hang on a minute, you said you were staying away from music. This is very much music. Right. And the big argument was whether they were just a platform for music or whether making, you know, whether it was making music or in the music business oh. and against the backdrop of Steve Jobs being obsessed with the Beatles. Which he was. Yeah, he loved them. Oh. They were his favourite band. Oh. It, Dylan and the Beatles were the ones for Steve Jobs. He was a big music fan. And as iTunes and streaming music became a thing, it became personally very upsetting to him that the Beatles weren't available on iTunes. So... I think he wanted to move heaven and earth to get that done. And, you know, there's a price for everything. And on this occasion, it was $500 million and a bunch of sweeteners. Yeah. He um, he said something interesting, Steve Jobs, which um, somebody said, what about the Rolling Stones? And he loves the Stones too. But he says, if the Rolling Stones hadn't been born, somebody else would have got there. Somebody else would have made a band that sounded like that. Right. But with Dylan and the Beatles, only Dylan and the Beatles could have been Dylan mm. or the Beatles, which I really liked. Feels yeah. Right to you. Yeah. I thought, as I was listening to your show, I thought that the last song, there was some moment in which I thought that While My Guitar Gently Weeps was the last song. Mm. I thought, oh, I wonder. So then I wrote down as a question why was this your last song? How did you decide on that? Then I realized what it actually was, and then it all made sense. I don't have the question. All my loving. I thought about playing "Hey, Here Comes the Sun," which was the song that I started it with, but I'd already oh, played no. some stuff off Abbey Road earlier in the show, and I thought that thing about "All My Loving" and the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and why I wanted to do the radio show in the first oh, place. It was great. I thought that was like a good ending. I thought it was a very moving end of show. Oh, that's nice. You did a really good job with it. Did you like that stuff about... Um... I was very moved by it. Were you? Yeah. That's... And then I was thinking about like, I then got into this thing about thinking how I just got really sad thinking about John dying when you were playing Strawberry Fields. Mm. I just got so sad. I was going to... You know when I did the thing about time... Where you, where I said, yes, yeah. I loved that detail. Because the the other way I was going to go with it, I was going to do both, but then it was just too much. Which was, if you take the day from when John met Paul at that church fete, he's sixteen and a half, Paul's fifteen, and you calculate the amount of time from then to the to the day that John was murdered, that would be like a kid meet, meeting another kid when spice up your life was yeah. in the charts and doing all all the stuff that the Beatles did and then living the life afterwards that John Lennon did. That that's that that's the span of his life from from when he met Paul. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Sad. But what a legacy. What a legacy. This podcast is my legacy. This podcast is your legacy. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about well, you going, what a legacy. And I'm thinking about Sean's Instagram page again. Oh, mm. God. So grim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's the thing about legacies, though. Whatever your legacy is, yeah, even if you're either one of the greatest of all time or most villainous of all time, 
you'll probably end up on a novelty mug. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been a wrap. How do you feel? Do you feel sad? Yeah, I, I, I um, I'm grateful for the small subset of people oh who my have gosh. listened to this podcast and, and stuck through to the bitter end with it. So grateful. Same. So I feel like I feel like there should be some kind of poignant ending, but I could plug. Oh, you should plug. Should I plug? Yeah, you should plug. It takes all the poignancy out of it. Yeah, but I would rather um I'd, I'd rather puncture the self-seriousness. I don't think it's self-serious. No, but I think if- I I I am offended by that almost. What do you mean? Because I I don't I absolutely don't think we were being self-serious. No, no, I it, don't. It's I not don't. like that would have been if we were like, "Guys, we can't thank you enough for listening." We're so grateful. It's meant so much to us. And uh, that would be, that's not what we were doing. No, but that's what I mean. The self-seriousness would have been to just stop there. So if you then plug your shows, that's a good ending. But you have to make sure and edit in a way that looks, that makes the transition not make me look like an asshole. Yeah. I've got some things that I really need to plug. Is one of them your Instagram account? No. I mean, yes, but that's not really what I was plugging. I have three shows at the end of this week, and I really need people to come to them. And I I think, I don't know that they'll be good, but what I can say is that I'm working really hard to make them good. The first one is on Thursday, the 3rd of June. It's at 21 Soho, which is just off Soho Square. It's a comedy night that I put together that's new material with me and some other comedians. And it tends to be a, a good night. Who who are the other acts? Dane Baptiste, Finn Taylor, Babatunde Aleshe, and Helen Bauer. Fantastic. So it'll be all five of us working out new stuff. And the way that I try and approach the night is that I feel that like a new material night is either one of the most dog shit and uncomfortable things that you can be privy to. Or actually, if you're seeing people who are trustworthy and good performers trying to figure out a new bit, it's actually sort of a fun and interesting thing. I try try to make it that. Please come to that. Then, do you think I'm doing? You think I'm doing a bad job? No, no, you're no. Looking no, at me no. like I'm doing a bad job. No, no. I think you're doing a great job. And then, on the fourth and fifth of June, this weekend, this weekend, at nine p.m. at Soho Theater on Dean Street in London's West End, I am doing my stand-up hour, Enemies Closer. And let me tell you something. What is, is this? The show that was a. A sensation in it Edinburgh. It was a sensation. Five-star reviews. It was mostly fours, but a couple of fives and one three that read like a five. <laughs> <laughs> the point is... But when I say five-star reviews, I don't just mean from some podunk website. Oh, no. I got I got a five from a broadsheet. Yeah. Not that you'll see... No, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, it's listen, it's mostly sold out. It's not... I don't think you can be mostly sold out. It's almost sold out. On the Friday, there's like a couple tickets left, but then I need 13 tickets to make my way to a sellout Mm -hmm. on that Saturday. And I would love, love, love people to come. And um, I... I, I would never ever say that I think it's a good show. But it so, is, oh, it no, is, no, 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 no. But I can say that. Many reviewers have said that. But <laughs> I would, I wouldn't. What say about it. delighted audiences? There are some delighted audiences, but well, it's eleven thirty. I have to go. But I will just say that I've worked really hard on it, and I've worked hard on remembering it, which is why I have to go at eleven thirty because I've booked a rehearsal space, a ten minute walk from my house, and I'm going to go stand there and walk in circles while I. Commit it to memory before performing it in Brighton tonight to get it ready for London Soho Theater on Friday and Saturday. Please come to those things. I I struggle to move tickets. I think I mean it could be because I'm bad at being a stand up comedian. But what I think it it's is is that the, uh, I think it's the, not what the public and the reviewers say after you, seeing your shows. I think it's more that um scratch all this, get this out. Basically, come to my show. Goodbye. Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Limitless, undying love for the band who did it all. If you've been listening for some or all of the past 12 weeks, you will know that one of the best parts has been the Beetlejuice fan club. Celebrating people spreading the joy of the Beatles today. Podcasters, writers, bloggers, social media creators, YouTubers. Each week, I have asked them to finish by explaining why, in their opinion, there is still so much to enjoy in the Beatles music and story in 2021. And as this is the last episode for now, 
I've put something together that I really hope you enjoy. It's a compilation of all those creators telling us what's so special about the Beatles. Chloe and Daisy are both in their early 20s. I found them so inspiring to talk to. They host All About the Girl, a podcast about women in the Beatles story. They make me incredibly happy and I've met so many wonderful friends through them and there's always something else to explore. It's such a deep, deep thing. I don't think that there has been a band since that encapsulates all of human emotion and human experience in the way the Beatles do. And I know that sounds really pretty, but no matter what mood you're in, no matter what you want to feel or what you want to think about, there is the Beatles track. Hugh is making me immensely happy and the internet a nicer place with his Twitter account, Teetlemania, and his fanzine, The Teetles Book Monthly, both built around photos of the Beatles drinking tea. Every little thing about them interests me. It's not one thing or it's not hundred things, it's every little thing seems to work to make them exciting and there's could sit here all day and just talk about any little... I mean, I, I spend my life talking about them drinking tea. That's, that's, that's where it's at. Any little bit, you can talk about their shoes, the way the hair changed, which isn't the point, because the point is the songs and they're perfect, but every little thing about them is exciting. I can't think of where that applies anywhere else. Diana Erickson hosts a really interesting podcast called One Sweet Dream, which looks at the Beatles' story anew by digging into their creative relationships. They are among the greatest artists of the 20th century. Why wouldn't we? Joe Wisby has carved out a lovely little corner of the Beatles podcast universe with Beatles books. They offer a little bit of hope, a little bit of light and a lot of happiness. And I think especially at the moment, uh, that's what we what we really need. Andrea Robbins created and runs the Harrison Archive, a lovingly crafted Instagram account and blog full of great photos and memories and stories about George. The progression in their music is just pretty unparalleled in musical history, I'd say. Every album is progress and every album is different from the one before. And uh, they were charismatic and really funny, too. And uh, I think it's a full package of the uh, magic that they created Chris Shaw is the host of I Am The Egg Pod, joyous conversations about albums with people who love the Beatles. The Beatles are everything. People have grown up with them generation after generation, and they've moved so many people, they've touched so many hearts, they've made so many people happy, and are continuing to do so to this day. Sarah Schmidt has run Meet the Beatles for Real, one of the best Beatles websites in the world since 2009. It is full of stories and photos you won't see anywhere else. They are just four unique guys, make great music, and they have a great message of peace and love. They bring people together like no other band can, and people make friendships because of them. And it's a lot more than just their music, but their music's like the core thing. Dr. Christine Feldman Barrett is an academic who is letting air into the Beatles world by celebrating women's influence on the Beatles and vice versa in her book, A Women's History of the Beatles. There has been no other band that has so profoundly and so joyfully shaped and influenced people's lives. They're also fascinating of their time and they are timeless. What more could you want? Galeazzo Frudua has been spreading the joy inherent to the Beatles' music to millions of people for nearly 10 years with his brilliant and addictive YouTube channel, Beatles Vocal Harmony. You want always more of them, and uh, and they are very, very well-crafted, very well-crafted. They are very hugely, immensely good songs with very incredible melodies, and you want more, you want always more. It's like a drug, but they are so positive. So, come si dice quando ti danno il buon umore? They give you high spirits. high spirits. Laura and Ellen bring alive the stories and legacy of the Beatles in their hometown of Liverpool in a podcast called Beatles City. It's just the music. You can put, you know, one song on and put it on shuffle and then be listening to something completely different within two songs and think, how have we even got on this journey? And they've done that in such a short space of time. I think it's that they, they never stopped pushing themselves. They just tried everything, didn't they? They never they were never satisfied and they would move on to something different. They would just keep experimenting and they were obviously still massively enthusiastic about what they were doing. Jason and Stephen host Nothing Is Real, one of the best Beatles podcasts that is a delight to listen to because they're so knowledgeable, they know how to tell a story and they're just so charming you want to be in their gang. It's the greatest story ever told. 
Yeah, it is the greatest story ever told. It's still an extraordinary seven-year odyssey from when they shake hands with George Martin to when they call it a day. And it's an extraordinary, tumultuous series of events that the world is different because it happened. Thank you to everybody who has taken the time to talk to me for Beetlejuice Fan Club. If and when I get time to do some more of these shows, I already have a list of people that is twice as long that I want to talk to. And what's so incredible about the Beatles is that it's not nostalgia. They've given us something that is so full of life. It has been brilliant to connect with people from around the world about this shared love of a body of work, music that has at its heart. Um. 